Hello, and welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour, the weekly bridge to the future of the Piano Tech community. I'm David Anderson. And I'm Ethan Janney. And we're here to ask great questions, and then we'll shut up and listen to some of the authorities, experts, and most outstanding personalities in our little world of pianos. So, put on your best set of headphones, and let's get started. So I want to welcome everybody that's here. There's a bunch of people and uh, always insanely uh, 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 grateful that anybody shows up because we're just basically sitting around our cribs, you know, on Saturday morning. But this is some of the most fun I have is being with you, being with my community of piano tech nerds that love this stuff and, you know, <laughs> disrupt their day to come and listen to us rant and rave and stuff. So welcome. Welcome to everybody. And um, uh, we're going to start out by just saying, uh, just, just, I want all three of us, especially Dale and Arlen to, Arlen to uh, talk about last week and how they felt it went and what their kind of plan in one sense, or hope, hope, or vision for this week, and let's start out with uh, Mr. Tone Warrior from Modesto, <laughs> aka Flatlandsville, <laughs> California, and uh, he's one of my closest colleagues in this world or in any world, and um, he's what I call a master. He would never, he would kind of lightly kick my rear end, probably for calling him that, but that's what I, that's how I hold him. And uh, Dale, how you doing, man? What, what, what went on last week? What, what do you see for the next, you know, I really, 58? Yeah, I really enjoyed last week. It was uh, the synergy that happens between the three of us or, you know, is um, it kind of energizes parts of my memory to bring up things that uh, are in sync with what the other other two of you are saying, and it reminds me of just the little tidbits of learning along the way that expanded my uh, passion to be the tone warrior. You know, to 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 really listen uh, to my ears, and uh, also I'm I'm grateful that, that that many people would show up to just take this take it in. Um, each of us has uh, an enormous amount of years invested and we're, I'm happy to share it. Thank you. Uh, my esteemed, beloved colleague, Mr. Arlen Harris, uh, we've only known each other for a short time, but it's been like, well, geez, didn't I know you like my best friend 20 <laughs> years ago? Uh, no, I think it was another lifetime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever it was, brother, uh, it's very resonant, very familiar, and I'm in awe of his skills. Uh, Mr. Harris, uh, last week, this week, how you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, welcome, everybody. It's so nice to see everyone here, and uh, thank you for tuning in. It's a, it's a really pleasure and a privilege and honor for me, really, to, you know, as David said, you know, we really connect. We see things a lot the same way. And there's a spiritual connection with Dale, too. He's really on the same plane. And to see, you know, to be with these two wonderful craftspeople and artists, um, 
and to interact and to share the interaction with you. That's what we're trying to do with the radio hour. And we can't really in one hour with three people go into a lot of detail. And you know, all of you are technicians, you know how much detail there is. We decided what we would do is throw out some concepts and ideas and some of our experiences to get you guys to, to maybe be inspired a little bit in, in your own approaches and, and maybe try even a few different approaches. And then later on, you know, um, uh, hopefully we'll be able to go into more detail when there's a more extended program. But please be patient with us because we cannot go into too much detail with the limitation of time. And that said, I know Dale, I was talking about prepare, he has something prepared that he's going to go in some detail because people requested that um, the last time. I also prepared a very short five-minute um, PowerPoint presentation with just a few slides I think everyone will enjoy seeing. So if we have time to do that, we did this for you. And of course, David, uh, uh, any questions and, and areas you want to touch on, uh, we're your guinea pigs. So awesome. uh, feel I also, if there's time, again, if there's time, I brought three, these things that really changed my life up when I realized what they were. And uh, so they're just short too, five minutes. So really literally five minutes, it's very quick. And I have it on a Microsoft Word document so you can either screen save it, I'll, I'll, I'll share it on screen when I'm talking about it, these three things. And I'll screen, you can screen save it or take a picture of it or, Tell me in the chat your email address, and I'll, I'll email you a copy of it. All right. So, um, again, I want to say it's, it's beautiful to be here. And what we focused on last week, just to be absolutely clear, was the other thing that a world-class technician needs to live in and start to embody besides hard and strong and deep and excellent technical skills, what you need to make a piano sing is an internal state of being. You need to love it. And what does that mean? What does that mean? And let's, before we get into any of the technical detail and there's a couple of responses that was like, okay, the philosophy is cool, but let's get to the, the technical work. And I say to those people, my brothers and sisters, this is the work. If you don't marry your state of being and your passion and your love and excitement for the technical part of the work, I have never seen anybody without that love who has gone into the realm of those few piano technicians relatively that can really make a piano sing through that final steps of regulation, tuning, and voicing. And I want Dale and Arlen both to speak to that. Go ahead, Dale. Dale, Dale why don't you go first? <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, I did a Zoom thing for the San Diego chapter on Wednesday, and one of the first things I said to them was, there's one thing I can't teach you, and that's I can't teach you how to care. Um, I think that you, there's an internal drivenness that, um, I, that's in me, and I don't know where it came from, but it's the passion for sound. It's, it's music. It's music and sound. 
sonic vibes feed my soul because I'm a musician. So my what's happened is I've continually tried to push the envelope tonally in all of the work that I do. And so, which means I'm always learning stuff and sometimes it's the hard way. And I think you have to be willing to accept that the little failures along with the successes and, and uh, make peace with it and accept it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Arlen. That's a very, very good point that, that they all brought up many good points, but that last one, uh, every successful person, no matter what profession they're in has many failures on their way to success. And, all of us have to deal with this, and I don't see them as failures. A, a scientist to develop a new vaccine or something has to go through th- hundreds of experiments sometimes before they're, they're used maybe more than we are to failures to reach a successful outcome. I don't see it as failure. I see it as experimentation. Yeah. So I, I recommend that everybody experiment on pianos and you know uh, find a way to get them to the pianos and you need to experiment and through experimentation you will all find that you'll be able to find uh, the way and better ways to do things yes you have to change your frame around a failure in essence everybody does my little sister is extremely successful coach and strategist strategists to the CEO and executive staffs of big companies, a lot of entertainment companies. And she wrote a little book, and this is an extra $50 tip I'm giving you guys, unsolicited. It's a little book, 120, 130 pages, and it's called Be Bad First. And what it talks about is exactly this, that we all have a tremendous fear and shame-based completely out of balance reaction to, oh, I failed. Oh, I effed up. Oh my God. Oh, that must mean I'm a failure. No, it just means you're learning something really intense and you need to pay attention. Be bad first. If we suggest protocols to you and you've never done them before, if you've never considered them before, if you've never thought about them before, if you try them, you're not going to be great at them. You're going you're gonna to work your way into them. And your learning curve is different, but just accept that you will fail. You will make dozens of mistakes every day. I do. We all have. Yes. In fact, we continue to learn and we make mistakes. I, I call them uh, setbacks. But, um, you know, it's like Thomas Edison, you know, 99 ways not to – uh, invent a light bulb. Yeah. And it was the hundreds of time. So any, anyway, I, I was uh, curious about, you know, um, I know that there's always like, uh, give us the meat, give us the beef, give us those technical things. And so um, I've got a number of things which I could share if I have time and I'll probably do it in a couple of pieces. But um, we're talking about high level piano prep. So I learned some things about high-level piano prep from some very high-level folks. One of them was Norman Emblett gave me my first voicing lesson in 1979 on a set of uh, hammers on a uh, nine-foot Yamaha 
in the church that we were attending at the time. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from his approach, from his demeanor, from, from him actually giving me the tools and say, do this. And then um, later, the hammers uh, weren't that great. So Richard Davenport came back and he said, well, let's do this. And then the hammers weren't really good. So later, I was talking to Kenzo Utsunomiya on the phone who worked for Yamaha. And I was saying, Kenzo, I just, you know, it's got this sound I can't deal with. And he says, well, you know how they say you can't stick a needle in the top of the hammer? And I said, yeah. And he says, I want to tell you, let's see, how do you say it's bullshit? <laughs> and and I, I, we just laughed. We both laughed. And uh, that was really an eye-opening experience because I've had other people tell that to me too. And then I've figured out that it was really true that, you know, you can, if you know, understand how hammers work and how to adjust the tone in them, depending on the type of hammer, you can do a fair amount of single needle voicing right in the crown. And I know Arlen and Dave would say, yep, you can. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's, it's like, in a way, like privileged information because you can, with two strokes of a needle, you can destroy the, the active hot spot in the middle of the hammer that's given the hammer life too. And that's true if it's a particular kind of hammer. And not as true if it's a different kind of hammer. That's exactly right. So I have prepared about a five-minute demo on the different kinds of hammers and why it's important for us to understand that they're out there. Because to get to the point where you can be the guy who fixes anything, you have to learn how to work on all these kinds of hammers, which means you have to understand how hammers work. And I think last week, I briefly showed the Irwin Davis flexometer, did I not? Yes. Okay, so I have listed three kinds of hammers, and Dave and I have had this discussion a little bit. Basically, we called them low compression hammers and high compression hammers. And I'm here to um, tell David that he's wrong <laughs> and that he's right. <laughs> so this is some type of uh, foreign-made hammer. And I've driven, drawn lines on each hammer that I'm going to demonstrate. And the important part of this demonstration is you can see if the hammer is flexible. Is this fairly clear, you guys? Yes. Okay, so as I squeeze yeah. it and you watch the lines and the felt, it's pretty hard for me to get this one to show much flexibility. So on the next demonstration... That's what I, that hammer would be a hot press, low compression, high density hammer. And I'll explain that in a minute. So here's another hammer. This is what I would call a high compression, moderate density hammer. And you can see the top moves down. A lot, a lot more, more movement. movement. You can really see the lines. Okay. And then the last one. So by low compression, you mean it doesn't take as much pressure to compress. Right, it's the hammer's hammer. felt spring. This is the rule. Now, we're all going to have to learn how to deal with this hammer if we're concert-level technicians. This is Steinway hammer. It's a low compression, low density hammer, and I'm going to explain that further. But this hammer really flexes clear down to the molding, 
and really out to the sides a bit more even than the last one. This is what I would call a low compression, low density hammer. Now here's why. Because here's the same hammer from the same set and all I did was cut it apart and there's no compression compared to, okay, this is the low compression, low density hammer. That's the Steinway ask him. Yep. This is a high compression, moderate density. Okay, so I want you to pay really close attention. There's this little circle over the t over the felt. And in a high compression hammer with uh, moderate density, you're going to watch that circle tighten up. You see it? I want you to really get a look at that. And then as, as the felt is wrapped tighter, look at the lines. Look how they bend. Look how they stretch. This is tension and compression. So the tension is happening on the outside of the hammer. The compression is happening in the other circle, okay? So this hammer, the felt resiliency has been, um, it has been retained. It's been considered sacred the way it's made, okay? So then you have other, what I call low compression, high density hammers. I cut this one apart this morning. It's high density, but there's no tension and compression left in this felt. Now this, this takes a little bit of getting your mind around, but you're dealing with this hammer, you're dealing with this hammer, this is a Ronson hammer. I, I don't remember exactly which one this is, but many hammers are made like this today. And the reason is there's, as the way they're made, there's too much heat, takes the resilience out of the felt. In the Ronson hammer, the resilience is left intact in the felt. And this hammer, which is low compression and high density, it means there's, there's nothing happening in the felt that's just felt on a stick. So these are the things that we have to keep in mind when we go in to see any kind of a piano and are expected to have some kind of voicing voodoo magic. You know, we have to really uh, take the time to invest, as we were talking in the beginning, to um, invest your time discovering. You know, how much can I do with this hammer? Uh, not much. I took them off, threw them away. How much can I do with this hammer? Oh, I can make I can make a piano a world class singer right, right here, and uh, with the Steinway hammer, I can do the same thing, uh, but with different proportions. You have to know how to adjust the felt spring with either solutions or needles. And frankly, boys and girls, we've all been brainwashed into thinking that the only way to get tone out of a hammer is by needling the, the snot out of it. And that's just not true. There's nothing wrong with needles or juice or a combination of things, and including in some cases treating a hard set of hammers with 50-50 alcohol and water, hot water because that lets the felt open up and become a spring again. So I should probably stop right there for now, because yeah. that's a lot to take in. But these are some of the factors that anybody in the high-end market, whether, you're, whether it's in a concert hall or in a studio, got to be faced with uh, the reality that these are the hammers that you're going to work with. If you can't get... This, the tone from this hammer in an instrument uh, may be time for a tra hammer transplant. 
Uh, maybe it's time for alcohol and water. Uh, with this hammer, maybe we just need solutions to stiffen up the low shoulder areas to support what's happening on top. Anyway, I'll stop there for now, and if there's any questions at this point, uh, people could obviously jump in. So uh, uh, Jean-Michel asks, what type of hammer in the demonstration is more sensitive to needle voicing, and which would you stay away from, uh, and which would you stay away from? I would say the um, low compression, high density hammer is going to require a lot of needling. And the Steinway hammer depends on, you know, how it's voiced. And I probably, Arlen has much more experience in that realm than I do. I mean, I've worked on them a lot. Uh, single needles. But with the higher density hammers, you're trying to get that felt to unload and become springy again. You're trying to convince the felt to do what it was supposed to do in the first place. But the manufacturer really limited your ability uh, to get what you wanted by taking the resilience out of the felt. Does that make sense? Yes. So Dale and I essentially met each other coming from, weirdly, different places to the same tonal pocket. Is that a good definition? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We were shocked because I had always gotten what you call low compression, high density hammers in that realm and, and voiced them down to make my golden sweet spot. You had always worked with softer, more low compression, low density hammers, correct? High compression. High compression, that's exactly right. High compression, low density hammers with various methods of sandpaper and, and, and hardeners and you know, looking for the exact right thing. And we played each other's pianos that we'd personally done this to, and we're like, what is this? <laughs> right? Yeah, true. What is this? Your piano sounds like my piano. Well, you got there with completely a different way. So I still, and thank God that the piano industry has moved from, ah, let's throw a bunch of heat in these hammers and let's, let's make them sound like they're in a, uh, a concrete box right out of the, and that's good enough for most people. Most people, that's their tone and blah, 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 and all this craziness. Now, with the advent of Eichertfeld and the advent of a lot more stiff competition from another kind of hammer, the, 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 the hammer makers all over have gotten to almost this hybrid place where that, yes, there's got to be some heat, but there's not the heat that there was. Right. There's not the, the lack, the low compression that there was before. That, that compression level has risen in so-called needling hammers. Now, I use B72 frequently, whether it's, it's just little teeny dots or little teeny paintbrush things. I use it many times. I will soak a so-called uh, low compression, high density hammer, the bottom of that hammer with varying degrees of hardener and in at B72. And uh, it makes sometimes a miraculous difference. You know, it has saved me and made me a hero on, uh, in, in, in several ways. 
Dave, a lot of folks aren't going to know what B72 is. It's a hardening solution that Dale and some Kenneth Eschete and some other people kind of discovered and worked with, and now they offered for sale. It's awesome. B72 and acetone is probably the best hardener I've ever used. And it's quick working and it's permanent, but it's flexible in a way. And it's also it, mag magic in the concert situation where you can literally apply that in drops as you were describing. And in, yep. and in three to five minutes, you know what you're going to get and it isn't going to change like lacquer. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and let me tell you, these men, these humans, uh, Ken and Dale and, you know, big handfuls of other people around the country, men and women, have tried this out, right? Have beta tested the heck out of this stuff. And it works. And it doesn't hurt anything. And it's rocking. I highly recommend it. Arlen, come in on this, brother. Yeah, I, I use that as a, that's that B72 is in my arsenal, especially it's good, as Dale said, you know, and, and as you experienced too, David, uh, you know, when you really are in a rush to get these uh, hammers come up, or even if it's one hammer or, or a small section. So it is good. Um, I'll be, I just, do I have time to add a few other ideas to what Dale said? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I just wanted to point out with all these different types of hammers, one real quick way to analyze also this, the, the resilience the hammer has and the, and the hammer characteristics when you get to the set of hammers with your fingernails, you should be able to just use your fingernail on the outside of the hammer going in and you'll feel, does it have chemical? Does it not have chemical? How is the resilience? How is it on top? And you could go on the other side and with your hands and your fingernails, you should be able in different sections to give an, uh, an, get an idea or an indication as to what approach you want to make um, of course, having this sophisticated machine that they'll propose, you get a very good visual. But here you could actually have a quick way to see, you know, what might be needed. Another alternative uh, method I learned many years ago by Raleigh, from Raleigh Brooks in one of his, um, from Brooks Pianos, when he was um, giving classes, is for opening up the the bloom of the of the sound a bit what do i mean by bloom it means the just the general open range of the of the hammer you don't always have to uh, uh, use a needle sometimes you could use hair pliers and just on each side you could just give a little light squeeze less is best you could always go over it again and in yeah. those shoulders there Believe it or not, it is quite permanent to uh, a, a and it changes the tone of the hammer. It will mellow it out just a little bit, and it's a very in uninvasive way. If you find that it needs a little bit, you could use a very small tweezer plier, and you could really get really close in exactly the area you really want. Maybe you only want the very outside of the corner. Maybe you just want to get the inside somewhere. And you, over, through time and experience, just like voicing with a needle, you'll know exactly where to put this, this tool on the hammer. Also, as David Anderson put, pointed out, I've, I, I also like to use uh, 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 brushes to uh, sometimes paint on 
lightly some of the hardeners where you could really like a, a painter can just paint as you would use for a painting. You get a lot of control and you also use your, um, you can also use your bottles with a fine drop or two. So you'll, you'll have different approaches. I also use a perfume bottle for spraying just a very light mist on top of the hammer and let it just go down like a tropical rainforest. And in just a minute or two, it will harden. You can play that, play that note and mute that string with, the, with your, uh, a rag. And voila, you've got a much brighter and, uh, hammer. And over time, you'll know what mixture to use as how far up you want it to go. Wow, an atomizer. I never thought about that. Jeez. Well, it's like the gentle rain on the, the strip. of tropical. <laughs> you know, the, the reason all that works, Arlen, um, I brought a photo of a felt fiber. This is 10 microns. This is compliments of David Stanwood. And you can see the scales on this felt fiber. Yeah. And when felt is made with water and heat and steam and vibration, it opens up those scales kind of like Velcro and allows things to move together. Or in the case of the pliers, Ireland, it causes them to, you're, you're massaging them apart, which is uh, really a cool trick. Uh, and with any of these techniques, um, I would suggest, please don't say, well, they said it, and we're going to squeeze the, the crap out Use of it. Use at your own risk, hammer, right? <laughs> and destroy them, right? And as, as so um, uh, be, be careful with that. To add what Arlen said about, you know, checking and testing a hammer, my most mm, tactile type of test is to just take a number seven needle to, yes. to explore what is going on in this hammer. And uh, what I want to see is I, wanna, I want the needle to go in pretty much everywhere. And I know in this type of a hammer that not only can I put it through the outside, but I should be able to put it easily through the side of the hammer, even in the, even in the, comp the higher compression area. So this is more of my philosophy of a, a hammer is it's more of a, it's a unified felt spring and uh, it's a uniform density spring. Whereas in the ways many hammers are made, they're mainly just more, they're more, what's, they're more linear. A good hammer is a nonlinear felt spring. So I use this to test, you know, whenever I'm looking at making a difference in the, in the tone of an instrument by request, I want to find out what's there first. And this is an easy non-destructive, which way is important. It's a non-destructive way to discover what's there. So you don't have to take... So you don't have to take steps backward. Especially good for a, 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 a very hard hammer. Sometimes you can't tell and you need that needle test. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is such incredibly powerful information. And you, you, you guys that are watching this have to understand that these men have done this on thousands of instruments of really a ton of high quality instruments and made mistakes and come back and learned and they're giving you this. It's pretty amazing. 
it's a perfect segue to what uh, to my little. I'm going to do a little segment, and the description of this segment. I'll be happy if you put your email address on uh, on the chat. I'll be happy to send you a description of this segment so you can so you can look at it. But I I, I want to concentrate on looking at it right now. Um, unless you know better, that is what I'm calling the sacred area of the hammer. In most hammers, these two protocols will work incredibly well. And this is strike point voicing. So what I want to do is put a needle right on the edge of that sacred area. And I want it to go from the end of the string cut all the way down into the felt with, with really little or no resistance. So what I'm doing is I'm putting this needle in, you see the string cuts uh, there? Yes. Okay. I'm putting the needle at the end of the string cut in this, uh, uh, just along the edge of the sacred area. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. You see it? You see the needle and along the edge? So a good, a good, um, guide is to put it right at the end of the string cut at the same and and you can't see it but this needle is at the end of the string cut and it's at the same angle right and so i just let that needle fall in the felt and if it doesn't i take the needle out i walk it two millimeters down the side you see the same angle and go in and it basically falls in, all right? So I'm like basically doing acupuncture near the strike point of this hammer by going way down, this is an 11 millimeter needle, way down along the sacred edge of that, uh, along the edge of that sacred area and letting the hammer fall in the felt. If it doesn't fall in, walk it down the side, same angle, and it'll fall in like that. Then walk it back up and boom, it falls in at your original point. No resistance. That string cut is done. Go to the middle one, do the same thing. Go to the other one, do the same thing along this angle until the needle falls in at the end of the string cut. And it makes a tremendous difference in almost a lot of hammers, especially all, uh, the tier one makers hammers, the you know the hammers that are used on Ravenscroft pianos, the 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 Weikert felt, what I call hybrid hammers, all of those kind of hammers. Most of the hammers that are produced in in uh, in Asia, it works like a charm. Uh, any quick questions yeah, on that? Yeah, David, can you can, go ahead? Can you just tell tell everybody what is what it is you're expecting to get from that? And, uh, and then I want to tell you why you're getting it. All right. I'm expecting more of a feeling of the fundamental. I can, I can hear the fundamental more, and I mask the partials that make the hammer crack or ping, as Dale says. I hate that crack. Now, that said, most players I know like a 
what they call or what I call a kinesthetic pop when they're on performance pianos. They want, especially octave five, octave six, octave seven, they want it to pop a little bit, especially at higher volume. Sometimes when the hammers are too soft up there, they don't have that kinesthetic pop. So I want to retain that pop without retaining a ping or what I call a dog whistle or like this he, he, he nasally sound. I don't want to hear you know, on any place in the piano, my eh, 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 my nasal passages. I want to hear my my chest and my throat. I want to hear golden sounds as well. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, and the reason that that's uh, that that works, David, is because back to this, you're yeah. you're what you're doing is you're shifting the partials down because you've made the spring. Um, you've made the spring less stiff, and what that does is it takes the it ch changes the shape of the traveling wave in the string, and so that tonal information is changed. It allows the hammer to engage the string longer, and without exciting those partials that are annoying to you. So right. again, you're changing the spring, and the reason that works on so many high compression uh, or low compression high density hammers is because that area, that sacred area that, you, that you're trying to protect, that's where that, that pop and that power is coming from. And if you get into that too much on those kinds of hammers, yeah, uh, you're going to have to do some resurrecting to get it back with some solutions. That's exactly right. You're going to have to do some serious and precise hardening with either collodion or B B72 mm -hmm. in acetone. That's absolutely right, Dale. Thank you. And Arlen, can you just weigh in on that? I'm going to weigh in on that from a real weird angle, David, if that's okay with you. <laughs> sure. If, once you achieve what you both are talking about and getting that, that set up, getting that twang out, and if you want to go that extra 5% we're talking about of really getting a piano where it might closer to ideal, let's all pay attention to the contact point of the string and the bridge pin because that bridge pin has to be in contact with that string in a very solid state and that bridge pin had better be solid in the don't assume the bridge pin is solid in the bridge uh, and and it has to pay attention mm. to seat that properly and check your bridge pins and you'll be amazed that sometimes that golden tone that David talks about will open up and you'll have more clarity, but also you'll you'll have some of that zing taken away just by seating strings. Tell us, tell us really quickly what you do to seat the strings on well, the, the bridge. Well, the first pins. thing I want to know on a piano is are the are the bridge pins really solid inside? I had a Yamaha once where the I had do I do a test tapping, and they were all loose. And, and I, that was one of the reasons that piano just did not have a good tone. I was getting ready to do the voicing, and it just didn't have a good tone. Did you listen to the sound of the tapping? The, like the, the sound of the pin? No, I do it by feel. If the pin feels solid, I lightly, gently tap with a special pin tapper. Um, and if it feels uh, well, uh, then that's good. If it goes in even the slightest bit, um, let's see if I can. This is yeah. a there you, go. you can tell it's yep. been a bit used, but it still works. And and you just tap 
you know, the pin on the top. And if it does go in, I would go ahead and go through the whole set and tap them. It throws the piano completely out of tune. Obviously, if you're in a pressure situation or there's a time constraint, you can't do that. You have to make a second appointment. But you would do that. And then I would gently, I use Steve Brady's method where you would gently tap the string with, I use just a, a, a metal tube to the side. And I never tap down. I don't want to damage the bridge just to gently. Yeah, yeah, yeah thank the you. Side, so it goes just gently into the side. And, and yeah, you never want it to tap into or damage that top. And I, when I mean gently, I'm talking about just baby taps, just baby, yeah. two or three baby taps, just to make sure it has good contact. And then you want uh, you as, don't assume that your hitch pin has been all the way down on the, um, uh, you know, the where the string goes on the hitch pin. The loop is is all the way down. Make sure everything's nice and tight on your A graph or, or on the decapo bar. And once that's done, that's another good base for getting the um, the tone that you guys are talking about with the hammers. Oh, and and let's let's remember, kids. Uh, Mr. Arlen Harris has tuned for hundreds stop, of, stop, you know, <laughs> hey, hey, just <laughs> of icons, world-class pianists. Still learning. This, is, this, yeah, this comes out of insane experience. Well, so I've had a lot of very uh, uh, demanding pianists, let's put it that way, to deal with. Yeah. Oh. Hey, Dave, uh, Arlen, I want to follow up with what Arlen is saying, because that was on my list, too, is that, you know, also when I got my first voicing lessons from Norman, he said, well, are you lifting the strings on, you, you know, your, your your pianos? And I said, well, I, I was only uh, six or seven years in when this happened. So he, he was showing me this on bass strings. He would take a string hook and he would lift up on the bass string between the A-graph and the coil. And we'd listen to it first, and he lifts lift up on it, and that's all he did. And the fundamental got super clean, and the thing got better. And so, when you're talking about um, hammers, that's great. But we're talking about the last ten percent too. And what Arlen said about tap, tap, tap gently. I'm just all about taking the wire bends out, like behind the bridge, and I want to go sideways, just just tap, and you can. You can stick a mute in your strings and then tap the string, and that mute will move all over the place. It, it, it doesn't look like the string's moving much, but it is moving. And when those strings are, uh, when the bends are out at the bridge, and then they're lifted at the A graphs and under the capo bar, so they're nice and straight, and the hammers are mated to that, holy cow, your voicing has suddenly got another level of refinement that um, people who people who play the piano at that level really notice it. They do. Listen, the people that play the piano at that level, and there's a lot more than you think, mm -hmm. uh, really can hear. They're focused. They're paying attention to all these nuances. And if you're not paying attention to them, then it's it's not going to work out at the best. You have to be able to hear when a note sings. You have to be that focused. And that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Man, we could give you tips for the next 10 hours. But if you're not in the right place 
to implement these. If you're not listening to that degree. Yeah, there's a cause and effect for everything that we do. I mean, there's, there's not really any mystery. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on the mystery. But, you know, if you're, if, let's say if uh, you're into uh, your, your local concert, Steinway D, and all, all of a sudden at uh, B4 or C5, you know, that doesn't sound right. There's a false beat or something, you know, lifting the strings or, like Arlen said, tapping on the bridge pin can make a huge difference and getting the, the wire bends out. Uh, sometimes uh, even tapping on the bridge pin isn't going to solve the problem of the bridge pin being tight at the top where it's most critical. Uh, on another appointment, you could literally pull the bridge pin, put some thin CA glue in there and put it back in and that'll make it tighter. So those are things that you have to space out as far as appointment time go. But, you know, if you're working on an instrument all the time, uh, these are things you can make yourself a list. This is what I need to do this next time, etc. And if you're going to use that CA glue on that bridge pin, I would recommend doing only one on the worst sounding one and just see the effect of it because there's some pianos that it works much better on. And I've had some where it would actually make it kind of dull. So if it bleeds in too far into the bridge. So as with everything, you just be very gentle and test. And if the test works out, go for it. Right. These are subtle, nuanced things, boys and girls. These are, this is awesome. All right. There's some questions that I want to get to before we, we have to go. Carl Lieberman asks, Please discuss the different mixtures of B72 and acetone, uh, Dale, real quick. Okay. I need to bring up the sixth and fifth and sixth octave of a stage Steinway D. Okay. First of all, there's uh, different ways to mix B72, and for a long time I was using acetone only. Uh, I've and and that has <laughs> that mixture has certain benefits. And then the other way, which Ken Ishite is very strong about, is mixing it with pure alcohol, which is a lot of times it's impossible to get here in the state of California, so I had to bootleg it from Oregon. But that has the, the difference between those two mixtures is that the alcohol and B72 travel into the felt, but there's not as much reverse migration as with the acetone. So just, uh -huh. just be aware of that. As far as the mixtures go, um, I do have that written down. I, I'll mix it, mix up a thin batch or a thick batch, sorry. And I can't give you proportions right now. I'm sorry, Carl. Uh, and then I'll take that and I'll cut it in half. So that's my, let's say that was my three to one mixture. I'll cut it in half. That's my six to one mixture. I cut that in half. That's my 12 to one mixture. And wow. if I need it thinner, I can always go thinner. But there's some trial and error here, depending, again, on the hammer and how the desired result you're trying to achieve. So, like everything, voicing is a result-driven process with needles or solutions or, or, or different kinds of solutions. It's a result-driven process. And I highly suggest doing samples. Don't just hose it down and hope for the best, but, you know, be, be conservative. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. All right. Let's get to a couple of other questions. What's in the perfume bottle, Arlen? Well, I don't drink that alcohol that Dale's told, I, uh, talking <laughs> about. I keep that strictly for pianos. I want to make a disclaimer. Uh, 
in, in, in that perfume bottle. Um, that's what I use to put any of these chemicals, whether it be the B72 or even lacquer with uh, acetone. Um, I have lots of these bottles and I have uh, my mixtures all, I go to the job with the mixture already in the bottle. So depending on the, your ear and just as David said, we can go on all day showing you techniques and things within one hour, we can't do this. But think about uh, all the subtleties that you can work with and listen to if you do mixtures like Dale mentioned and do more mixtures and do different uh, chemicals. And this is your playground. This is where you need to experiment and play. And when you play and you listen, it's a, as Dale said beautifully, it's a result-driven uh, process. When you hear and listen to your results and you see your results, or you, and if you're working on actions, you feel your results, that drives you on to what you're going to continue to perfect. And that's our job. This is the beauty of it. Uh, and every single piano is different. And the makers also have their own concept. But as piano technicians, we could take that concept and run with it. Just like the pit crew of a, of a race car, they can put on different components and make that race car much better than what they, they had thought they, they could have as far as a performance car. Mm-hmm. That's the best uh, kind of All right. Um, That's not very good. Thank you, brother. I'm looking through the questions. Um, uh, Alan Edder. So, Alan Edder. Go ahead. Question. Alan said, where do you lift? Where was I lifting the string uh, at the A-graft? It was between the A-graft and the, the beginning of the wrapping. And the caveat there is don't yank on it and don't overdo it. You can put a reverse bend in that, in that wire when you're lifting a string. That's right, and you can always lift it more than once. So the first time, use very little pressure. You could always lift it a little more, and then a third time. You always do it with uh, less is best. You won't screw yeah. up that way. <laughs> All right. Uh, there's some other questions down below, Alan, that I want to try to get get to. I maybe. All right. Let's just wrap it up here, kids. Um, I had a lot of other stuff, but as Arlen keeps reminding us, it's only an hour. We can't, if you want us to do a, a more expanded thing, maybe an all-day thing, boy, that sounds exciting to me. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll show you a bunch of stuff. And uh, to me, this is about some of the most valuable stuff that exists when you get three human beings that have been in the trenches for a long, long time and have not been afraid to fail. I just think it's, it's a beautiful experience. Ethan, uh, thank you brother for bringing this together and for bringing us together. This is an incredible service for me. And I brings me tremendous joy to give it to other people. Uh, Mr. Harris. Well, I'll, I'll cut in here. Thank you. Thank you for, for that, David. It's a pleasure to have you here. And it's a pleasure to be able to, you know, as you say that in getting to know you over the past few years and communicating with you and just seeing how much other people appreciate what you have to share and how willing you are to share. Um, I really appreciate 
the opportunity to be able to facilitate that connection. So, um, and, and thanks for bringing on Alan and, and Dale, of course, uh, sorry, Arlen and Dale, of course, today. Um, you guys have anything you want to sign off with before we cut out? Well, you know, if there's questions in the future, we, we all have email addresses. So, um, you know, feel free to, you know, send questions and we'll try to respond as we have time. I'd also like to thank Ethan for the opportunity and, and recommend that everybody help Ethan uh, uh, with his wonderful plan and, and what he's doing for our industry and uh, consider going onto his site and, and taking his master classes. There's a wealth of information there. I want to thank David Anderson and, and Dale for allowing me to participate. It's been a real a lot of fun and a pleasure and two yeah. very special people. Don't forget to go on Thank David you. Anderson's website and listen to his pianos. And Dale, I think you have pianos also on your site. Um, do you have the sound bites? I don't re recall. I, I'll have to double check. Yeah, but uh, if you get a chance to hear Dale's work too, they're both like top of the industry, beautiful work. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. We, we, we're all a community. We're all in it together. We're here to help each other. And it's a, it, as, as David said, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I will just say a couple things. I, I did put in a link there, I think, to some of your uh, paralloid protocols, Dale. I, I believe I remembered you had it on your website where you also can, people can pick up the voicing crystals. Is that true? Right. Correct. Uh, so I put a link to that in the chat previously. And um, we'll follow up with a... Uh, feedback survey and an email to participants. So please look out for that. And if you want to learn more about signing up for Piano Technicians Masterclasses, that's uh, https colon double forward slash www.pianotechniciansmasterclass.com slash ptm2020. Put that in the chat. And um, yeah, we'd love to have you be a part of this and and the master classes we have are wonderful with, uh, you know, David's done master classes with us, Dale's done master classes with us, and they're really high quality, quality stuff. We'd love to have you join in and, and uh, participate in. Anything else from you guys? All right, sounds good. Thank you very much. I'm gonna, I'll shut up the stream. I'll, I'll stay on for a minute just to add that feedback form. I gotta grab the link. I'll, I'll add that to the chat here just so people can click on it right away. But I will. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you, everyone, for, for, for letting us do this. Really appreciate it. All right. See you later. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Remember that you can catch us live online every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern time. That's right. Go to pianotechradio.com to register so you can interact live and ask questions of our guests. See you next week.